Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome into Pushing the Limits. Today, I have the wonderful Associate Professor, uh, Mr. Uh, Edmund Leung, uh, who is a gastroenterologist and a general uh, surgeon. Lovely, lovely gentleman and very, very learned in, in this realm. And I am he's actually one of mum's doctors and looking after her health at the moment. And so I uh, seized the opportunity to, to have this wonderful uh, doctor on our show. So I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a deep dive into the microbiome, into the gastrointestinal tract, into um, looking after your gut health into the different surgeries and, and so on that are uh, the, the doctors do, colonoscopies, colonographies, uh, all of that sort of stuff, looking at IBS, IBD, Crohn's ulcerative colitis, uh, what we can do to protect ourselves, uh, lifestyle hacks, and so on and so forth. So I do hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, and before we head over to the show, make sure you check out what we do over at lisatarmity.com. If you want to reach out to me or my team, um, you can do so. Support at lisatarmity.com if you've got any questions. And make sure that you subscribe also on our YouTube channel as well as to the podcast. We are building a wonderful YouTube channel over there. Um, and we'd love you to come and join us on that medium as well. And before we head over to the show, just briefly, we do have a survey running at the moment to try and get feedback from you guys to see what you want, what you want to learn about, uh, different questions that you might have about your health. So it's all anonymous, but we really appreciate your feedback because it helps us bring you what you want to hear. Uh, and that's over at lisatarmity.com forward slash survey. Now over to the show with Associate Professor Edmund Leung. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome into Pushing the Limits. It's fantastic to have you with me again today. Now, I have Associate Professor, uh, Dr. Mr. Edmund Leung. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you here today. And thank you for thank your you time. Thank you very much. I'm really excited for this conversation. And and we met because I, I brought my mum to you. And um, so you've been looking after my mum. And then we got uh, into a bit of a chat. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to take the opportunity to to see if I can get you on my show because I've never had a gastroenterologist on my show. Um, uh, can you give us a little bit of your background uh, and tell us how that you ended up in the, the you know, into, into gastroenterology as opposed to something else? Uh, well, that's really a long story. Um, I always want to be a doctor to begin with. And then I think just throughout my training, uh, I had very good mentors in my field. And you kind of learn and become loyal or or, or, or appreciate their work, uh, the people who are really good to us, the mentors that were really good to us. So I kind of followed their path. That's how I became a um, what we call GI surgeon, a gastrointestinal surgeon. So, yes, I'm a gastroenterologist, but I'm also a gastrointestinal surgeon, which I do the operations as well. And that's yeah. how I en end up being in my field. Mm -hmm. But it's also uh, just a fascinating subject because it's such a wide spectrum of conditions anyone can get. So, you know, I cover the, in, essentially the entire abdomen. So a gastroenterology really is the, a study of the entire digestive tract from mouth to back passage mm -hmm. and also you get the liver the gallbladder 
uh, uh, pancreas, they're all interlinked. And we can always talk about how they're interlinked together with the microbiome later. But but essentially, it's a big topic of medicine. So I thought it covers quite a lot. And that's become very interesting for me. Wow, that is, yeah. And, and having all of those interconnected systems, that must be an awful lot to learn. And being a surgeon, you're having to actually do the surgical <clears> stuff. That, I've always wondered, what is it like to be a surgeon? Because, you know, for, for most of us have never been and had an experience like that, um, you know, to, to be, have to, you know, operate on somebody is, is quite a daunting prospect. How does one uh, overcome one's fear to do such a thing? Uh, I'm not, I, it's interesting. I never had the fear of operating. Um, and I, and certainly when I was in med school, I certain I saw medical students fainting, you know, yeah. doing just uh, cadaveric dissection, you know, dissection of, of cadavers, the, you know, um, donated yep. bodies, but I never actually, I actually found the, uh, anatomy and the structures and the, and the art of uh, surgery very exciting and very interesting so I never was fear of it um and and I became more and more excited about how sometimes surgery can fix certain problems so for example cancer is a good example where often and we still mostly believe in it I know we can talk about other ways of treating cancers but Mm -hmm. still I think majority of cancers are still being successfully treated by surgery Mm -hmm. and that feeling is good when you know you can actually remove something that is harming harming people yeah absolutely absolutely so um let's dive into then a little bit about um what do you what would if you were to talk to someone and you know if you were to talk to a, a class of young people and you were you were trying to give them some life advice um as a as a surgeon and as a gastroenterologist what would you be saying for them to be on the lookout for things that they should be screening for things that they should be aware of and ways that they can take care of the digestive tract that's a um that's that's actually a very very good question um so in terms of looking after themselves and screening. I mean, obviously exercise and healthy eating. These are basic things we all know about. Mm. Um, so screening is not just about what the doctors can offer anyone on the street. It's about self-awareness as well. Okay. Looking out for symptoms, because even the, uh, the diseases of digestive tracts happen in young people too. Classic example, inflammatory bowel disease. Mm. They can happen as, as early as teenagers. Mm. And and they just need to look out for symptoms, not ignore it, um, and 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 early awareness and early uh, medical attention seeking is quite useful. Um, so as a as a, a a gastrointestinal doctor or surgeon, my first role actually is to rule out things that we can treat medically or something sinister. Mm-hmm. So a lot of patients that come to me. The, the, actually, the most important for them is reassurance that they have not got cancer. That's actually the most important thing. A lot of the, these these patients, once I've ruled out cancer for them, they're quite happy. They don't want they, they they're quite happy to put up with the odd tummy pain or, or the odd loose stools. They're quite happy with that as long as they know they haven't got cancer. Of course, there are many many causes of of, of their symptoms, but that's the, my first role is rule out sinister things. Mm-hmm. My second role is rule out simple conditions or diseases that I can treat medically mm-hmm. uh, and 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 this will be I would say about the 20% of patients that I see the other 80% of patients I, I see are usually some uh, non-specific symptoms or we describe it as irritable bowel sy- syndrome mm. 
that, that term I have to use very cautiously and carefully because that's I, I, I do believe that term is loosely used. Yeah. Because when we haven't found a diagnosis, we blame IBS. Mm-hmm. But have they really got IBS? Or is IBS actually just a, a set of symptoms mm-hmm. because of other conditions? So that's that's something very um, that I, I do I have looked into over the years and how to manage them, exclude other minor conditions, and target treatment. Sometimes is what what we need rather than just say we'll take some paracetamol and and live with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so 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 you so yeah, that's that's really my main role, and that's what I would tell to tell tell to anyone that I see is depends what you want, what your ex- expectation is as a patient. Do you want to just be reassured that you haven't got cancer or do you actually want to know what's wrong with you and optimize your lifestyle and optimize your symptoms? And that's what really I need to get from them. And with IBS and, you know, irritable bowel syndrome and there's, you know, um, uh, the ulcerative colitis and the Crohn's and and, and this family of, of problems and and it seems to be quite prolific. Like, you know, there seems to be quite a lot of people who are dealing with this and, what what is the difference between say an ulcerative colitis and a Crohn's and an IBS and IBD? Uh, you know, I, I I've I've struggled to sort of differentiate um, between these. Um, so I, IBS is actually just a set of symptoms. Uh, is is what we what is defined as a functional disorder of the digestive tract. It's actually. But like defined based on symptoms only. Mm-hmm. So there's no confirmed diagnosis as such. You can't take a biopsy and say this is IBS. Right. Uh, it's a functional disorder of digestive tract. And they define it based on chronic abdominal pain, bloating, and change in bowel habits. Um, and 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 most important definition is there's an absence of an organic diagnosis. Mm-hmm. There's no confirmed diagnosis. That's what we talk about, a set of, a constellation of symptoms without a diagnosis is what IBS is about. Whereas IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, which consists of many forms, colitis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and uh, uh, microscopic colitis. These are defined medical conditions where you can actually prove and diagnose based on biopsies. Um, and, 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 but very interesting. If you talk about the cause or the causes of IBD and IBS, there's a lot of talk about uh, gut health, microbiome mm. in, in, induction, and 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 genetic predisposition as well. So um, whether or not they they are interlinked in that sense, um, that's a difficult to know. But IBD is a, has a defined diagnosis, organic cause, whereas IBS is just constellation of symptoms without. Of course. Gotcha. And and you know, is there um things that people can do, you know, from well, let's dive into the microbiome a little bit because this is a, a subject that really interests me. And you know, I've spent quite a lot of time um learning and researching. Um the microbiome, as as a gastroenterologist and as a surgeon, are you concerned about the microbiome? Do you study the microbiome from the, you know, from the uh, perspective of all the bacteria and the, the parasites and, and all of that and how that affects the the gut? Or is that sort of a separate discipline and um, not really in your wheelhouse? Um, yeah, what, what's your take on the whole microbiome so, story? 
just before I became a consultant, I think microbiome only then became very popular or, mm. or, or uh, it's been noted as an important topic. Certainly when I was training, uh, microbiome wasn't that talked about. It, it, it didn't really talk about the cause of anything. Um, we knew about gut bacteria and we knew that of the overgrowth of it causes symptoms, mm-hmm. but we never really talk about how um, it wasn't popular rather um, yes, or much yep. research on how microbiome affects your general health, not just gut health, your mental health, mm. and also um, how it affects your organ functions, which now we more and more studies have come up, come about since I would say late, just before 2010, uh, lots and lots of studies come, in the last 15 years or so, mm-hmm. just an explosion of studies on how microbiome affects organ functions and mental health. And, and, and now we're homing on using that as treatment for many conditions, including IBS, uh, even anorexia has been very successful wow. uh, and there's good studies on it now. So yes, it's, so there's an explosion of, of research on it and, and, and I'm still picking up a new, new thing every day on it. Um, so the next generation of gastroenterology should be much better uh, informed about the relationship with microbiome and, and and general health. Yes, because it it, it does seem to um, and and we find this a lot in medicine, like the you know functional medicine, integrated sort of medicine, uh, root cause medicine, uh, and, and then the traditional sort of um, standard of of oh, how would you say it, allopathic medicine. Um, it, it doesn't always see eye to eye, um, and and. I think the microbiome, from you know, from my perspective, uh, doing microbiome testing and um, looking at different markers within the microbiome system can be hugely beneficial to to people's health. And I and I certainly believe and have have used it with my mum extensively, as you know, um, and, and to try and give back and you know put back in the right things, take out the right the wrong things, and do all of that sort of stuff. So some of the markers, things like zonulin and leaky gut, and the work of Alicia. Pisano and um are you aware of any of those sorts of things like zonulin and, and leaky gut for starters is that a, a thing that's on your radar absolutely absolutely I think a lot of, I mean going back to IBS the leaky gut the leaky gut theory on IBS is very much well studied now and well understood well better understood I would say well understood better understood uh so um, so we call it dysbiosis of the of the, of the gut. So dysbiosis simply means an alteration of gut bacteria within the systems. I describe it as more bullies of bad bacteria mm-hmm. and overwhelming the good bacteria in your gut system. So what happens is that it stimulates. Um, so what we call this dysbiosis or dysfunctional microbiota. That's how we describe it. It increases the immune response to within the gut system and affects the gut brain. It, it become, makes the gut more leaky, as you described. Mm. It becomes more leaky. So by having more leaky guts, all these bad bacteria, all these bullies come out, and the body got to deal with it. So your immune system then starts targeting these leaky gut to, or, or, or medically defined as translocation of bacteria, mm-hmm. of antigens, the metabolites. Uh, it, it, it triggers a, a whole host of immune activation. Mm-hmm. So it makes your body always in battle, always consume. So people are tired, they're always in pain, achy rather than in pain. They feel they feel like they've got flu, flu-like symptoms. They're just mm-hmm. under the weather all the time because a constant battle between the, your body immune system against this leaky bowel. 
And then you get this discomfort. And of course, all these systems makes your immunocompromised. Mm. And then you're more prone to other illnesses like colds and flus and viruses. And at the same time, chronic symptoms um, makes you makes you unhappy. But at the same time, these these uh, uh, immune activation of leaky bowel actually stimulates a hormone in your brain. We now know is corticotrophic releasing hormone factor, Mm -hmm. which affects your overall um, uh, uh, mental health. So uh, so so uh, and that viciously. It's like a vicious circle, then increases the gut motility uh, um, and, and make the gut more leaky. So it's, it's actually, it's, it's like an exacerbation of problems. Um, so yes, they're all interlinked. The leaky yeah. gut theory is actually very well, uh, better understood now. And there's things like, um, you know, lipopolysaccharides, which are, you know, on the, um, what I understand, the outside of the back- bacteria, the gram-negative bacteria, I believe. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and, they, and they come out of, and it really accelerates the aging process and the aging of organs yeah. is what I've been uh, reading about lately. Uh, and, and and so this is like a, a, we've been studying. Um, I have a, um, a biotech company. We we're doing um, immunosenescence as as our as our target that we're going after, looking looking at slowing the aging process through um, optimizing the immune system, and and we're looking at agents that can. Uh, help with that leaky gut side of the scenario so that we can actually slow the aging process down. And and that the immune system, there's like 70 to 80% apparently of the immune system is in and around the gut and, and, and very much influenced by what's happening in the gut and what's happening outside of the gut or coming through out of the gut. And so anything that's immune related and of course, this is the gateway to hell. Like if we, if we, if our immune, if we start to have immunosenescence or the aging of the immune system and the landscape of our white blood cells and our, um, you know, CD4s and CD8s and all of those sorts of things start to change, then we're going to be at the mercy of so many of the diseases of aging and that this chronic low-grade inflammatory state that so many of us are walking around with is actually you know, um, contributing to the speeding up of our aging and the speeding up of our demise, basically. So it's that important, <laughs> really. Well, obviously, it, it, it's actually, it, what you're describing is exactly what's happening. It's, it's a chronic, I, I call it like a chronic battlefield. Yeah. The body's always in battle in battle with it itself, with the, with the microbiome, the bad ones. And, 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 and you're absolutely right. You know, if you keep your car running nonstop and never switch off the engine, of course, your car's going to have shortened its lifespan. And that's exactly right. You are a body. You have an aging process, but you're, you're constantly fighting chronic conditions or mm. chronically battling. It's like chronic inflammation. Yep. Naturally, your body is tired, knackered, and your immune system, you're aging quicker. That's just, um, that, that's quite a natural process. Interesting, you mentioned like with polysaccharides. I didn't mm. think many people would, would talk about LPS. Oh, we do. <laughs> I actually did my doctorate. I spent a lot of time studying LPS in my doctorate degree, actually, as it wow. happened. Wow. I didn't know that I, I didn't know that you know about LPS because I never talk about it to anyone else because they oh, wouldn't please. understand it. But LPS is exactly right. It's a gram negative, um, it's, it's an antigen that produce or protein that's produced by gram negative bacteria. It just is so potent, this this antigen, it really stimulates a, 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 a severe. Uh, immune response, complement response in your body. Uh, and, and LPS is found in good bacteria as well. Mm-hmm. But the good bacteria that sits in the gut, if you've got good gut health, 
they don't leak out and they mm. stay in the gut and they, they do the job by keeping balance of the of the immune system. But it's only when it's that leaking out everywhere or or overgrowth of it in the, into the small bowel in the case of SIBO, mm-hmm. that's when you start causing symptoms and 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 wearing the, the body out. Um, it's it's so potent that actually LPS is well recognized now. That is a it speeds up the cancer spread process, and that's when my doctor was in was really about wow. how LPS actually promotes a cancer, cancer spread. Yep, promotes growth of things like polyps um, uh, in the body and things like that. So and 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 actually promotes migration of tumors. Um, so it, it, it's actually one of the better studied protein amongst the microbiome. Uh, mm-hmm data so so you're right about lps it is actually um, one of the most potent antigen that you can get in that gut just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at pushing the limits we've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors scientists athletes business people from all around the world so we would love you to come and join us you get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air and for a coffee or two a month that it would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. Yeah, and I think there, there uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe there's a start, uh, there's an actual test now that we can test the levels of LPS, at least in America. Not, not, not necessarily here in New Zealand, is it? Have you heard anything along those lines? Uh, LPS was. T- uh, it's interesting. I, I'm not aware of commercial testing for LPS um, uh, t- because we tend to just measure the overall bacterial load, mm-hmm. and then you can guesstimate what how much LPS being what well, is right. available to be released. I guess mm-hmm. um, LPS is certainly available in the laboratory because I used to test for it. Right. Even when I was a youngster doing my doctorate degree, I was testing LPS levels. Wow. Um, so that yeah. can be done in a laboratory setting on cells, you know, in a test tube. Yep. But in terms of commercially available testing, I'm not aware of any, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but I don't see why it can't be. If it can be done in a lab, why can't it be done commercially? I guess it's just calibration and, and, yeah. and quality assurance. Um, but it, it's not that important to measure the actual LPS level. I think if you're able to measure the bacteria, uh, the microbiome data mm-hmm. in your body, that's good enough to estimate what your risks are because the LPS is not the only one. And there's a synergism between LPS and other microbiome uh, as well. So actually it's more useful knowing what you've got in your system rather than just yeah. LPS levels because it, it doesn't work on its own. It needs to work with other proteins to become potent. It's a synergism. They they work together to exacerbate their effects. And when they're on the inside, they're actually okay. But when it's when they get this, when when the sleekiness is going on, um, and, and, you know, we do um, complete microbiome mapping in our practice. And we uh, look at things like, you know, secretory IgA and um, zonulin levels, obviously, and the the, um, the pancreatic elastase and, uh, you know, the, 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 the health of your digestive enzymes and and what you're doing there are you breaking your food down um as well as the actual populations of bacteria and you know there are many many microbiome tests now available on the market and there's lots of arguing and fighting who's got the best one and who's (laughs) you know (laughs) and it's an evolving science and i think um 
but it it really provides a good picture overall, I think, for people just uh, places to start working on. Um, one of the other favorite things that yeah that I like to look at is things like secretory IGA and also um, your short chain fatty acid production. Mm. How that, how that's doing in particular, butyrate is especially important. What what's your take on those two, like secretory IGA and, and butyrate? Wow, I mean, you you I, I wonder where you just read my doctorate thesis. <laughs> Beauty was another <laughs> another another um, market that I, I studied against LPS. It was very interesting that you wow. I studied uh, a long time ago. Um, yes, absolutely. The butyrate is again. I can only speak of in the test tube, not in human. In, in mm -hmm. I have no real evidence in human bodies at the moment. I'm sure someone is doing studies on it. But butyrate actually suppresses quite effectively the uh, uh, the activation of LPS. Mm -hmm. um, so even the LPS release, butyrate actually suppresses a process how LPS activates a complement act, uh, system and uh, an immune response. Um, so you release the IgA, IgA will be lowered by having butyrate around. But butyrate itself is a toxic chemical. So obviously you can't just give it to people as drugs. Mm -hmm. um, but butyrate is, uh, is a chemical well known to suppress all that process. Now, I, I want to be... Uh, specific i suppose i think prevention is key rather than firefighting mm. the important message about having bacterial overgrowth or abnormal microbiome is it's probably best to just avoid that scenario in the first place yeah. rather than treat yep. the, the damage that's caused so for example so there are many condition um there are, ma there are many conditions so there are many conditions that, that can promote bacterial overgrowth. So, for example, some people, well, I recently have found, had a few patients who actually have diseases which causes that, like too much bile acid in the system, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, the pancreas is not working very well, like you were talking about pancreatic elastase. Mm -hmm. So if you, were to, if you actually have pancreatic insufficiency or dysfunction, you have not enough proteins being produced in your in your uh, pancreas. So the food you eat then um, promotes bacteria overgrowth. And it's therefore, not being broken down properly. Yeah, so, so actually the treatment is not to target, give you antibiotics and treat the bacteria, it's to actually treat your pancreas in order to reduce bacteria overgrowth. Mm -hmm. That's probably more useful. And I recently had, a, I can give you a case study, I recently had a patient who was labeled IBS for mm -hmm. six years, going to the toilet 10 times a day. Uh, everybody says to you, oh, you got bad IBS. She was only in her early 20s. Wow. Bad IBS, bad I they've excluded all the big diseases like cancer and, 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 and Crohn's disease and colitis, but labeled her IBS. And then she went into talking, looking at a microbiome because she was so desperate. You know, she couldn't even wake up in the morning and go to work up to the toilet all night. And the microbiome showed that, yes, she's got a significant amount of um, uh, uh, bacteria, uh, bad bacteria. Yep. And SIBO, it's yep. a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And then I said to her, well, why would a 20-year-old who, who's exercised well, eats well, do all the right things, have this condition? Mm -hmm. It's odd. So mm -hmm. instead of treating the problem with antibiotics, I actually looked into her bile acid levels. Wow. And that was when I realized that she's got malabsorption of bile acids, which mm -hmm. means that whatever she eats, she's feeding the bacteria. 
or so the bile acids are not coming out properly and they're not breaking it down because it's a very antimicrobial um, substance, bile acids and something. That correct, they... correct. It, it, the body balances out, obviously. It doesn't kill mm-hmm. everything, but it kills a, a, a good number of them. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly. So, it's got, so, they're not, so, so they're not killing the bacteria, not digesting the carbohydrates she's eating, and that carbohydrate is feeding the growth of bacteria. Yeah. So all I did was I gave her one prescription to boost her bile acid absorption. I cured us. I literally cured her symptoms from going wow. to after day, six years day. of searching, six years of desperation. Oh, poor being labeled IBS. It's just a good example. I always yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we just need to think a bit deeper about yes. sometimes. Uh, 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 dysbiosis is actually caused by a condition a medical condition they are interlinked and that's an important message it's not about treating the bacteria it's treating the cause of the dysbiosis yes and 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 yes that's something that's been on my radar immediately is always to look at things like you know um oxbile and tudka and things even like natural substances that we can use to sort of support that bile uh, production because without that it is going to get that overgrowth going that small um, uh, intestinal bacterial overgrowth but then there's the hydrogen side and the methane side and there's again arguments out there in the world about um, how to diagnose this and uh, you know different aspects of of, of dealing with SIBO um, anything that you would advise there like there is you know the hydrogen dominant and the methane dominant SIBO is there any difference between the two from your perspective? Um no, well, no, uh, yes, there is. I, I, but I think the important message, again, even with diagnosis SIBO, my first and foremost uh, discussion with any patient who comes in with symptoms and suspects of SIBO is to make sure there's no underlying cause of yeah. SIBO. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why is it? So, for example, there are people with slow gut transit, there's people who are diabetic, They've, they've, and even sometimes they're born with, with, with an abnormal anatomy in between a small bowel and large bowel with significant reflux of large bowel contents back in the small bowel and then over time they colonize the large bowel bacteria into the small bowel and 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 also some medications can cause it so those are the reasons i need to really look into to make sure that there is no simple reversible cause of SIBO yep so i, I treat the cause of SIBO first once i know i can't do any more in terms of the causes then i target a SIBO treat uh, SIBO treatment mm-hmm. um which can range anything from um, anything as simple as cutting out the carbohydrates, what we call FODMAP diet, low FODMAP yep. diet. Yes, yep. Uh, with probiotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I give a combination of, in over course of a month, I give a course of antibiotic between probiotics mm-hmm. to balance things out a bit. And sometimes it gets so severe, I actually give them bowel prep, as in wow. the, the clean you out. Yep. Uh, there's very good studies on how uh, not just laxatives I'm talking about proper bowel prep that you take and you just for a colonoscopy yep but like like a colonoscopy bowel prep um actually uh, resets the body system wow and I have many examples many good patients uh, good cases that actually after bowel prep they, they don't look back wow and, because yeah. it's it's basically you know uh, annihilating the gut of yeah, the good, the you, bad, you, and the you, ugly, and then re-establishing the good, basically, and trying not to get the, the bad ones. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's that's fascinating, and and you know, um, you know, if we talk just briefly on the, the colonoscopy, is that a good procedure? Because you know, like I came to you with mum 
recently uh you know with mum's had a e coli infection um and mum doesn't mind me sharing her stories but um it, which it, it, she was too too frail we decided for a colonoscopy at that, at this point and we're doing a colonography actually next week hmm. um so we're preparing for that and and one of the reasons was because I've spent so much time actually re-establishing her microbiome after the e coli infection and trying to get some sort of normality going again um we would be actually back at scratch if we if we did that to her and that would be a little bit for for an 82 year old with many hmm. comorbidities just um a, a step too far perhaps um, so that there are risks involved, um, and and that that's actually that was interesting to me to learn that about colonoscopies and bowel prep that that can have positive effects mm. uh, for people who are dealing with issues. And then um, I was looking into the possibility of getting a vitamin C prep, and when I actually asked you about that, um, I think you were quite surprised that I'd asked for such a thing. Um, <laughs> but the studies that I'd looked at were were, were you know. That was less detrimental to the to the microbiome if you were trying to spare the microbiome, um, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, if I, I, I talk about colonoscopy in a minute, but the vitamin C thing is actually quite in, another interesting hot topic that's been mm-hmm. um, well talked about, not amongst the doctors, as not amongst the, uh, the digestive doctors and, and surgeons, but amongst the anaesthetists, mm-hmm. because now there's a big topic about vitamin c in control of chronic pain mm. again we talked about how microbiome affects uh, causes pain aches wow. general pain yeah and if you really got conditions that give you pain actually bad uh, dysbiosis actually causes exacerbates the pain that you already have giving wow. you more pain mm-hmm. so instead of just shopping your painkillers which people a lot of times we do uh, actually, vitamin C is now known to augment the existing painkillers using the mm-hmm. microbiome theory to control chronic pain. So that's quite a big topic now. Wow! As an uh, oral, as an oral, just as an oral, oral, oral injections. Um, wow! Yeah, there's that. There's a well. It's it's, a, it's certainly a big hot, hot topic upcoming. That's interesting. It's up for debate because some studies have said there's no evidence, and mm-hmm. some said there is some evidence. So it's it's ongoing the research, but it's a well. It's a very interesting topic that that um, I was just talking to Anissa about it recently. Wow! Well, palliative care patient, someone who's actually got terminal cancer and yeah and and you know she had nothing to lose yeah she's yeah. just taking popping painkillers all the time affecting other problems yeah and 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 actually she i mean she swears by the vitamin c was helping her but, and well, she, we, i mean i've done a deep dive into vitamin c intravenous vitamin c for cancer mm-hmm. and for sepsis and other other things and um you know the i've used vitamin c for mum and um intravenously um mm. for over eight years now since her original aneurysm and we're having one today actually um and the quality of life uh if for, for cancer patients you know that there's, there's actually quite a lot of research around it being a a, a a good adjunct therapy for uh cancer or certain cancers and some cancers and obviously you know with the doctor's approval and so on but um quality of life as well for pain management um i've seen that as well uh and so that that's interesting that from a from you know coming from a gastroenterologist i wasn't Mm. aware of that uh is it is the oral form of of vitamin c any any use like the intravenous form of vitamin c has a different mechanism of action in the body in huge doses 
Um, it, it is. The, the problem with intravenous uh, vitamin C for palliative care patients is that they, because they normally have a, a long line stuck in them anyway for other yeah. drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's quite easy to give the vitamin C intravenously. Mm. Oral vitamin C is being studied for chronic pain patients who don't have lines. I'm talking about patients with chronic back pain, mm-hmm. chronic joint pains, fibromyalgia, muscle ache, that sort of already existing painful mm. conditions. Mm. And then vitamin C oral augments the existing painkillers. Whether I mean, that's that's still a study ongoing. Mm. Uh, like I said, the, the data is controversial. Some some papers swear that it doesn't work at all. And others saying it's, it's got some benefit. But what interesting, you talk about quality of life. And that's the quality of life measures actually does say that vitamin oral vitamin C does help to augment the chronic analgesia. Mm. Which, as far as I, I mean, the side effects is virtually none. Yeah, I can't, I can't say for sure none, but but um, a little but bit of guess. It's not been well reported, put it that way, because uh, I'm yeah. not pain specialist. Um, so, uh, as a personal opinion rather than a professional opinion, is that I, I see no harm. But as a personal opinion, not a professional opinion, because I'm not a pain specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, 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 palliative care patient, I I, I support it uh, in yeah. terms of vitamin C. Um, so going back to the colonoscopy. Um, so colonoscopy is still the gold standard uh, test for um, excluding bowel diseases. That's still gold standard because the CT, the CT colonography has only can really only tell you whether there's a big lump or not, whether there's a big polyp, yeah, uh, whether there's a cancer. That's what we're looking for next week. Looking yeah. at those things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't pick up ulcers. It doesn't pick up in, inflammation. So it depends what you want to look for. If you simply want to rule out cancer, which a lot of patients do, then actually that's quite a good test. Um, there is now a stool test available, which we use for bowel cancer screening. Um, not commercially available, sadly, because you can do that and you can just get one in Europe or Australia. Wow. But yeah. not, not commercially available in New Zealand yet. Um, mm. So that actually will help patients even not have a colonoscopy if the stool test is negative it makes your risk of bowel cancer so low that you can actually wow. risk not doing a colonoscopy. Yep. Uh, colonoscopy does have a miss rate of about 2%. It's mm-hmm. not 100% foolproof. Um, and CT scan is about three to 2 to 3%. So it's roughly the same for bowel cancer only, detection mm-hmm. of bowel cancer. Um, the good thing about colonoscopy is that you have to take the bowel prep. So if you have bowel symptoms, you're youngish, and you just, you just want to see whether I've got SIBO, then actually it treats the problem at the same time. Wow. Yeah. And gets rid of the. <laughs> the so the, so it, there's wow. one other benefit because the CT scan does not give you bowel prep, which doesn't have that additional be- uh, benefit. Benefit. Uh, yeah. But it is much better tolerated. You're quite right. In your mum's case, I think who's 82, who's a bit weak from the E. coli infection. Um, as you know, E. coli is the biggest generator of LPS, uh, which knocks you for six because. Yeah. That's why E. coli infection is so potent. You get you get in you know you you get water infections from E. coli. You get water infection from Capsiella. If you get E. coli, you're, you 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 suffer much more. It was terrible. Like uh, yeah, in in New Zealand, hers was a particularly bad strain of of E. coli, and uh, mum mum unfortunately ate something at a cafe somewhere and um, ended up with this E. coli in December and was in, basically in bed for six weeks with and very very ill was touch and go that bad um and, and bleeding and, and all sorts of things mm. that were involved and she'd had a, a history um of um uh, bleeds last year as well which we believe are coming from diverticular 
that particular disease we don't quite know that's why we're going to have a look in there and see what we can find although we won't be able to rule out um a lot of the things because we're only doing the colonography and not the colonoscopy because she's too weak um but i was shocked at how bad an e coli infection was and uh it, it and actually really what I was surprised because I was throwing the bus at trying to save her and uh, and keep her out of the hospital and keep her you know um, keep her going for that period of time, and we did do intravenous vitamin C. We did do um, I had quite an extensive regime of probiotics and um, tributyrin, like butyrate supplements and prebiotics and uh, well, everything known to man. Um, one of the, the the ingredients I'm super excited about is called immune defense protein, which is a derivative of a is a bioactive um, over fifty bioactives from a from a, a, a milk bioactives actually. So. Uh, and this has been shown to improve the immune system in the gut, um, the the leaky gut situation, and and uh, and and I saw for the first time her lymphocyte count go up uh, after taking this. And now we're on 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 that, and there's been clinical research about uh, all of this. So immune defense protein, put that on your list. Have a have a have a look at. Mm. I can send you some data on it. Uh, and another one called Immunel, which is also another one of these fractions of uh, the whey protein and it comes from colostrum. So, um, yeah. and this has been super beneficial um, along with a lot of other things in the mix. I've also used peptides. Have you come across peptides in your in your journeys? Well, peptides, actually, uh, we produce a lot of them ourselves. And mm. the, we were talking about elastase earlier. Elastase mm-hmm. itself is a peptide. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's a lot of them. There's amylase. I mean, there's this whole host of them in our system. And, 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 and you're quite right. You've got insufficiency of peptides in your body can itself cause dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. So yes, peptides is a very important. So peptide supplement. I mean, I have to be more objective in, in as a, as a clinician, I guess. So we, we would probably only give peptides to patients if they're proven to have deficiency of peptides mm-hmm. um, uh, rather this- than give to you when you've got normal amount in in order to boost the dysbiosis that's something we haven't quite done yet um i'll put on your radar there's a couple to look into um that one's called bpc 157 so these are the well there's orally available peptides and then they're injectable so subcutaneous injections so when i'm talking about peptides this is more in the states where it's used um more extensively and one of one of mum's doctors that I have her under as a longevity specialist in, in Boulder, Colorado, who's an expert in, in peptides. Um, so we have used uh, BPC-157 in, in her uh, and another one called KPV, and I've forgotten the uh, what the acronym stands for. Um, and um, again, just to try to in, improve that, that gastrointestinal, that, that permeability, the gut barrier health. So I think peptides is a, is a space in general that's not well known in all in New Zealand um, and using them, you know, as subcutaneous injections mostly, but um, getting a little bit off topic. Um, so what... Um, coming back to the, the uh, microbiome, is there when when we're looking at the the breakdown of all the different bacteria in there? Can we influence that by the foods that we are eating? What's your take on the nutritional side of things, uh, without you know going into which diet's the best and so on? But you know, what's your take on can we if we're eating lots of junk food and processed food? Is that going to impact our our gut? 
uh, I'm sure it does. I don't have any scientific uh, uh, knowledge why it does. Um, so if you think about um, gut health again, so the IgG secretion IgA mm -hmm. uh, issues. So some people are, for example, intolerant to certain foods, foodstuffs, and we don't know who's intolerant yeah. to what. That's all mm. down to our genetic makeup. If you're intolerant to certain certain things, and we we study this well with celiac disease, gluten mm. is a classic example. Yeah. So if you're celiac or even mild form of celiac, you take gluten, your body, your your gut is reacting really badly to it. IgA everywhere, you know, to 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 uh, secrete IgA uh, and making your bowel really leaky, causing all sorts of symptoms in your bowel. Similarly, if you take on a food stuff that you are intolerant to, rather than I wouldn't use the word allergic, intolerant to, and body will react to it. It reacts to it by making your your again chronic immune activation, leaky gut. Even though you've got normal microbiome, that can still leak out. And then when you leak out, you're going to have to replace. And then over time, it's it's going to be dysbiosis. Um, and 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 it's a vicious circle. Anything that causes function of the gut to be wrong, whether it's medication or whether it's uh, uh, um, infections or or just simply intolerance to food, causes the gut to move too fast or too slow, refluxing the large bowel to the small bowel. These are the causes of dysbiosis mm -hmm. um and 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 then we give people antibiotics to treat this and we give them yeah anti-acid medication to treat that oh yes these things then Interesting. You know, yes. sometimes we give painkillers which slow your gut down so it becomes multifactorial causes of dysbiosis so yes i would say food is definitely uh a, a an important factor in dysbiosis but to know what's causing you as an individual yeah. is very difficult to know. The reason why we try low FODMAP diet and the reason why we try low carb diet is really just a basic theory of stopping bacterial overgrowth. Um, but you're right. It, it's, so, so food intolerance is actually a, a very important topic in that etiology of I, IBS. Mm. Yeah, I've got a, you know, we've got a family history of celiac in the family, and that's definitely one of the issues. And I think probably all of us could benefit from going gluten free, not always an easy thing to, to do, but um, I don't think it's probably good for anybody, um, the gluten side of things. But it the celiac is very concerning. You know, I've got a brother with with it. Um, uh, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about what could happen to him further on down the track because of this immune activation, because of the leaky gut that he's likely in, you know, he's strictly gluten-free, but even when you're gluten-free and celiac, there seems to be sort of, there's some other, there, there's some doctors who were, uh, and this is controversial stuff, but saying that there's even glutens and things like rice, there's different types of glutens, there's different, um, yeah, things that like go grain-free um, and, and that's controversial, but it, it's, it's definitely an area where there needs to be more research done and it's concerning when you have something like that that you don't end up with you know the 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 things like cancer and and that type of thing or this immune activation autoimmune diseases um you know well i mean talking about celiac now we know we know celiac disease and and, and that's a good example because that's a common food type intolerance if you like and and chronic celiac and chronic um gluten use if you're intolerant to it it, it stimulates the, the gut uh, uh, chronic uh, immune immunosuppression in the gut mm. and we know now uh, 
gut lymphoma, lymphoma of the gut. Wow. Almost not, I'll be careful careful what I say because I haven't got enough scientific evidence, but certainly we know there's an association between Mm -hmm. gut lymphoma and celiac disease. Wow. Because of the chronic uh, inflammation in in the bowel. I I don't know many other conditions that give you gut lymphoma. I'm not talking about the other type of lymphoma, but gut lymphoma. So, so, um, so, so, there is an association. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. I have to look into that one a little bit more, especially since we've got lymphoma in the family as well. <laughs> uh, I think they're different types of lymphoma. So, so yeah, so they, they can't go from one to the other. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, talking yeah. About gut, I'm talking about gut, the, the, mm. what we call MALT, M-A-L-T, uh-huh. um, because yep. it's associated with lymphoid tissue. Lymphoid tissue, uh, yep. Yeah, so MALT for, 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 for short, M-A-L-T. Yep. Wow, okay. Um, and what about um, something that's come on my radar recently? I did an interview with Dr. Christine Horton, who is an expert in something called sulforaphane. Um, mm. I don't know if you've come across sulforaphane and its activation of the NRF2 pathway which is your sort of antioxidant defense mechanisms your endogenous sort of antioxidant defense mechanisms and this has been really interesting to study her work um and uh so putting uh sulforaphane or well, you don't put sulforaphane to be completely correct you have the precursors gl- glucoraphanin and um myrosinase which comes from your broccoli cruciferous family and this upregulates, I think it was something like uh, 200 genes and over 2,000 enzymes are, are impacted by 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 this pathway. Um, and that can be very, very beneficial. It might be um, interesting for you to have a, have a listen to that podcast that I did with Christine. She has something called the um, GEM protocol, which I've been putting in, in myself. I've been do, using using this because sulforaphane is, you know, quite good for many, many things, including cancer prevention and um, it's, it's been a part of uh, mum's protocol for a while. Um, but yeah, the NRF2 pathway, have you looked into that one at all as in, in regards to gut health? or No, I have to admit, uh, confess that I, I'm not familiar with that pathway um, so much. Um, yeah, it's a pretty obscure thing to ask, it, it really. Is, it's obscure, <laughs> but, but it's it, it just these studies have only just been out in the last 15 years. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Microbiome talk and and these pathways, the, the obscure path, pathways that actually, again, promoting general health organ functions. If you've got good organ functions, your longevity is going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And your immune system is going to be better and stronger. Uh, rather than f- fighting a constant battle, so uh, um, so I-, I guess yeah, that's one of the pathways that you talked about must be part of the whole thing. But I- I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah it's quite an interesting one to you know, and um, I've been enjoying sort of learning about that. Um, the the last thing I wanted to touch on today was uh, gallbladder because so many people have gallbladders, you know, taken out and. What are the implications of losing your gallbladder or having a, a, a less than optimal functioning gallbladder in regards to your gut health? What is the you know the gallbladder? Well, I think it's a balance between a risk of having gallstones or um, or the gut health. I mean, when you know we we designed to have a gallbladder, it has its function, it has its purposes, it has its purposes. I, I think if you got to the point where obviously your pain has become unbearable because of gallstones. Or the fact that gallstones are causing many complications or organ dysfunctions, damaging the pancreas, then it, I think it gets to a point where surgery really is indicated because mm-hmm. you know you're damaging the body. 
But losing the gallbladder, thankfully, in the majority of people, there's no noticeable symptoms, no noticeable symptoms. They tend to just be well and get on with life. A few individuals, it affects the amount of bile going to your system. You're absolutely mm-hmm. correct. So some people who lost the gall- gallbladder can have too much bile directly from the liver, not being focused or concentrated on by the gallbladder, it's gone, straight into the gut. And that bile can, again, cause dysbiosis. So it could be too much or too little. Too much, exactly. It's a good balance. And the gallbladder actually makes it right. So it concentrates the bile and only release the amount of bile to digest your fat in your diet when you have a fatty diet. You go and have fish and chips. It stimulates the hormones in your your stomach. That tells the gallbladder to start squirting, washing up liquid, if you like. Mm -hmm. Wash up the fat so that you digest the fat. Um, uh, and, and, and that digestive fat has minimal effect on your microbiome. Mm. But if you've got pure fat, undigested, or you get uh, uh, too much of bile, diluted bile into your system, the gut just doesn't get it. And, 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 and that's where the bacteria go haywire. You know, um, and that's where dysbiosis comes in. And that's one of the causes of dysbiosis is having a gallbladder surgery. Now, I, I wouldn't want to say this to put people off having surgery. Don't because you have to. You, you, have got, to. Yep. Yeah, you have to. You have to. And I think if gallstones are causing complications in your, in your body, then I think that warrants surgery rather than worrying about the, the, the complications of that, uh, or, or, you know, these long-term uh, issues rather than complications uh, of surgery. And that's right. So, so counseling is important. Uh, as a surgeon, of course, I promote gallbladder surgery because I think complication of gallstones, the risk, the benefits outweighs the risks. And they're certainly painful. I had one 20 years ago. It was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> no, some people have it weekly. Oh, they God. They can't live like that. No, you know. no, no, horrific. It was very, very painful. I thought I was dying. Um, <laughs> um, the last thing, um, proton pump inhibitors and antacids and, you know, meprazole and co, um, I, I, I feel these are uh, often given out um, for too long. Um, these should be short-term fixes if we really need them, unless we've you know, got an ulcer or something. But do you see downstream negative side effects of being on proton pump inhibitors for too long? Uh, anything too too long is always not, not good. Um, so, yes, again, proton pump inhibitors well known to cause dysbiosis as well. Um, it, 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 the acid that we produce in the stomach is designed to destroy bacteria, mm. the bad ones. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that's what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatamati.com. So yeah. that's your first line defense, really, isn't it? Yeah, so 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 um so by by causing and it's well known now, um too much proton pump inhibitors or even in hospital has an increased risk of clostridium difficile infections. That's well known. Wow. That's one of wow. the drugs that we talk about. 
politically, clostridium mm. difficile is, is um, because it infectious in a hospital. It causes problems and long mm. hospital stay. So they, they test for that all the time. And over time, they realize that actually there's an association between proton pump inhibitors and clostridium infections. Mm -hmm. Same principles. You're not destroying, you're not using your body acid, the appropriate amount to, to keep the control of your classroom. The classroom is going to go... Go wild. Yeah, he wild. So, so, um, uh, so yes, it is. It, so that affects the dysbiosis. Um, it's difficult because, like, for example, um, if you got you if you're at risk of ulcers because your lifestyle is stress, you you you're, you're because you're prone to ulcers, and you get a bit of pain every so often. You know, how can we treat you? We can't say to you, go and do yoga and give up your job and, and sleep better. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's difficult to change the lifestyle. So the easy way out for all of us, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, is to give you PPI, the proton pump inhibitors. And uh, uh, um, so that that is, that's why we give so much of it and for so long. There are some people who are who who do require long term. You know, there's certain certain conditions that you do need long term. But I agree with you. There seems to be a a, a common drug that we give away, um, maybe too long and too often. And and understanding also the nutrient deficiencies, I think that come along with proton pump inhibitors. That you know, like um. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember them all, but there was um, B12, I'm pretty sure, is one of those. And it can also interfere with the nitric oxide um, uh, enzymes in, in, in the body, which, of course, can have deleterious effects on the whole cardiovascular system. Um, so something just, just to um, be aware of, if you know, if, if you've been on them for four or five years, maybe have a conversation with your doctor. Do I need to be on these still or is there something else or do I need to check for nutrient deficiencies because of these? types of um things that you're on yeah. um and um uh, the, the 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 very last thing because i did just think of something else fecal matter transplants fmt transplants mm. um hot topic at, at the moment and have been for the last few years quite exciting research in the anti-aging field even for um fmts uh and and there are companies now starting to produce these um, pills, basically uh, poop from other yeah. people that are in our ideal health. What's your take on FMTs and um, its use? And you know, yes, I, I, I mean, I support it. FMT is actually uh, uh, available when, where I was trained in the UK mm -hmm. uh, for uh, too much of the wrong bacteria and clostrid. We're just talking about clostrid, yeah, cells, and exactly. that's a well-known treatment for mm. it because mm. clostridium difficile is a bully. Yeah, it's, it's, it kills the good bacteria. It stays dormant. It, it just kind of pushes debris out. And um, and 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 yes, you can give bowel prep to treat that. But fecal transplantation actually does treat the problem. Uh, it actually resets. You're basically giving the good bacteria a, 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 an extra army to fight back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 and, uh, um, and and so yes, that's a well-known study. But whether it gives you longevity, I haven't got enough data or, or scientific reading to to back it. Mm. But um, but certainly is is a topic which I think warrants extensive more more extensive research. Definitely. Yeah, and even just from it, you know, thinking about it, if you if you are giving back a good microbiome. Uh, as you age, because the diversity of the microbiome goes down as you age. You know, that's yeah. one thing we'll sort of know is, is uh, um, there's been studies, I can't quote which, but um, on centenarians, and often they have a very diverse microbiome, you know, um, compared to other 
older adults who who don't you mm. know live as long one of their the key factors that the centenarians have is a, is a microbiome diversity that is very rich um and and, and i think has it got interesting um implications for longevity because that's what you know i'm very very interested in longevity and age reversal and, and all of that sort of science that's going on at the moment uh, and it, but I do think there's also there are some horror stories with FMT as well. So I think is who who is the the ideal donor? Is that someone you know like from a genetic point point of view, or you, maybe you had a certain microbiome and the one that you got given isn't actually compatible with you? So I think there's risks on both sides of the of the fence. Yeah. But um, for Clostridium difficile, I have a, a friend in Australia who was very, very, very ill and her son was uh, very ill with, um, you know, de- developmental disorders and it turned out to be, you know, um, C. diff and FMTs were the answer. Um, yeah. So very, very interesting. Uh, Professor, you have been a oh, wonderful today. I'm so, so glad to have had this time with you I'm so grateful um are there any sort of parting words that you'd like to leave the audience with um you know sage advice <laughs> as to how to live your life and and what you should be looking at um any sort of advice there well I mean uh, I, oh, that's that's a big that's a big closing statement. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we doesn't I mean, even have to be in the guts it could be just in general no that's right I think I think <laughs> As I said, in terms of microbiome or gut health or digestive health, um, the whole, like, like I said, in conclusion, everything interlinks in your body. Yes. Anything from being happy, anything from being um, uh, living healthily, um, they're all interlinked. It's not just like looking after your heart doesn't mean you don't look after your gut. Um, and looking after your mental health actually can promote longevity for many, many reasons. Yes. And exercise, the reason why exercise are good for you is not because it keeps your body fit, but actually it generates the, the right hormones. It gives you happiness. It gives your gut better health. Uh, so, so they're all interlinked. So, so I think living well in general is very important in longevity and um, not just looking after individual organs, you know. Oh, um, couldn't agree more. I think yeah. that that's that holistic, for, for the want of a better word, is is, is looking at that inter, interconnectedness, and this is um, really great to, to to hear coming from you because you know, like when you when you do it when you deep dive into one particular focus of medicine, hmm. um, it, it sometimes is missing from the conversation. Is that but that is connected to that? You know, <laughs> if you're looking at the heart, the pulmonary system is gonna go with it, and that's you know, right. all of that. Yeah, it's one, and, big, and, it's one body, not one system. One, yeah, one body. The brain is connected, and the gut is so influences the brain. And and I think that you know, um, and maybe that's a topic for another day. Is is um, the the health of your gut will be the health of your brain. If you've got a leaky gut, you probably got a leaky brain, and uh, your moods and your depression and and all oh. of these sorts of things are very very much tied. I mean, in. that's well studied. That's well known. Yeah. You know, um, that's right. So so stay well, I guess. That's my message. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you, Professor. It's been wonderful having you. No, thank you. It's an honour. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com. <laughs>